continue on. We were talking last time about the eight um, hindrances to the, um, sorry, nobody corrected me. <laughs> the five. <laughs> I remember one time when Sarkham Rinpoche said something, you know, it was a slip of the tongue, and nobody corrected him. And when he realized what he said, he looked at us. How come nobody corrected me? You know, you're going to let your teacher say something that you know isn't right? <laughs> but, uh, okay, we're talking about the five um, hindrances and the, the eight antidotes to those. And how the first hindrance has four antidotes. Remember, symmetry is stupid. Okay, and so the first hindrance was um, laziness, our old pal of... Uh, <laughs> either getting discouraged or liking to hang around and sleep or just keeping ourselves super busy. And so we first, to counteract the laziness, we develop faith or confidence in the existence of calm abiding and in its advantages and uh, the disadvantages of not developing it. And so that's kind of, it's like, it's kind of like, it's the same psychological thing behind a commercial. You know, if we see the good qualities of something, our mind gets interested. And so that's the next step from faith and confidence. We then go to interest or aspiration, where we want to attain it because we see the advantages. From there we go to the third antidote, which is joyous effort. Now, so the interest increases. We really want to go out and do something about it. And then what we do about it is the actual antidote, or the fourth one here, which is flexibility, or serviceability, or pliancy. There's different translations of this word. And what it is, is an extremely flexible body and mind, which enables us just to um, do with our mind what we want to. Yeah, and not be, you know, also the energy in our body settling down so we're not so distracted by that when we're meditating. Okay, so that's just to review the first hindrance that, that we talked about last time. Then the second one is after we've overcome the laziness and we get ourselves seated, okay, then what comes up, our next biggest problem is that we forget the object of meditation. Okay, so we're trying to let's say, use the image of the Buddha or use the breath, but, you know, you get two breaths and then your mind's off and never, never land, or you get the image of the Buddha and then goodbye, okay? So the mind just totally, you know, goes off the object. It, it doesn't have the ability, there's no stability in the mind to be able to stay on the object. It, it just constantly forgets it, okay? So this kind of forgetting is a specific mental factor, and it has a specific meaning here. It's not forgetting like, you know, I forgot where I put my keys, but it's forgetting in the context of calm abiding, where what happens is that our mind um, forgets the object of meditation and instead is distracted to, towards something else. So the antidote to forgetting the object of meditation, it's sometimes translated as forgetting the instruction. The antidote is mindfulness. And mindfulness is another mental factor, and here it has a very specific meaning. 
Okay, so mindfulness here has uh, three qualities. Um, the first is that it's familiar with the object of meditation. So whatever our object of meditation, whether it's loving kindness or the breath or the image of the Buddha or the ugly aspects of phenomena, whatever it is, our mind is familiar with it. In other words, we can't have mindfulness or memory of something that the mind is unfamiliar with. And then the second quality is that it holds on to the object um, so that it, the object isn't forgotten. Okay, So the mode of apprehension of the object is something that is continuous. The mind doesn't forget the different aspects, doesn't forget what you're doing. Okay, that's the second quality, the mindfulness. And the third quality is that it prevents distraction. So by being familiar with the object, and having this continuous kind of memory of the object, then it functions in a way as to prevent distraction so that, you know, other thoughts and, and things won't, won't um, intervene. So that's what, what mindfulness means in this uh, context. And in the, sometimes you see this little drawing of the different stages to develop calm abiding. And one of them, uh, and, and it's symbolized, I don't have a drawing here, maybe at the end I'll find one, and show, but there's an elephant on it. And mindfulness is symbolized by having the rope around the elephant and tying it down, <laughs> okay? Because that's the big thing that, the first big thing that we have to do is learn to tie the mind to the object of meditation, okay? Tie it down. Um, Okay, so that losing uh, the object of meditation is like the child running around, you know, running out the door. Your kid runs out the door and runs here and there. And mindfulness is bringing the child back into the room and saying, we're here. Okay. Um, and as we keep practicing mindfulness and keep bringing the mind back to the object of meditation, then after a while the thoughts get tired. You know, they just kind of get tired of, you know, keeping on coming and coming and coming. It isn't saying that this is necessarily going to happen in one meditation session, okay? But as you practice over a period of time and as your memory or mindfulness gets stronger, then the thoughts that, you know, instantaneously take you away from the object are going to be less strong. They're going to begin to take a, a rest. Okay. And so this is also why it's important to stick with one object um, of meditation when we're developing calm abiding and not changing objects all the time. Because memory or mindfulness, that first quality was familiarity with the object. And if, you know, every time we're changing the object of our meditation for calm abiding, then, you know, our, our memory doesn't get it, our mindfulness doesn't get a chance to function. And as, you know, of course, if, we, if we're doing a practice in the course of a day, we may be mindful of many different things. You know, and sometimes you might meditate on Chenrezig or Tara or the breath or loving kindness. And so in all those different meditations, you're mindful of each of their objects of meditation. But this is talking about when you're really setting out to develop calm abiding on a specific object, then you really want to develop familiarity, especially with that object. 
what we're doing a lot in our daily practice is developing familiarity with a lot of different facets. And that's good. We need to do that. Now, this is just saying that when we're actually going for full calm abiding, um, each meditation session we have to stick with the same thing. Because okay. if one session you're on the breath down here, and the next session your breath is at your nostrils, and the next session the breath is going in and out, and the next session you're at the Buddha, and the next session you're at Tara, and the next session you're at loving kindness, you know, your your ability to be mindful of one object to the point of developing calm abiding on it is, is quite limited. Um, they basically do if they have commitments you know, tantric commitments or something else. You do your commitments, but your basic meditation is just doing the shamatha meditation. When you do that retreat, basically, yeah. Or you incorporate your commitments like you would incorporate the guru yoga, or people who do the six-session guru yoga. You would do that as part of the calm abiding session because... Part of developing calm abiding, you know, if you take refuge, you do the seven limbs and things like that. So they would do, you know, like the guru yoga and do calm abiding right after that. The guru yoga would be like the preparation. But basically when you do this retreat, you know, you're, you're really sticking with one kind of object, one kind of meditation. Yeah. And not doing your commitments in elaborate form. In fact, they even say that as your mind gets more and more advanced and more concentrated and single-pointed, then there's a way to really shorten your commitments, or rather transform your commitments into a calm abiding meditation. <laughs> yeah, there's no cheating at our commitments. <laughs> it, it's the diluted form of mindfulness. Okay, the kind of mindfulness that we're trying to cultivate here. Is on a virtuous object. Yeah. yeah. But that kind of um, thing is more obsession. Okay. Right. right. You can't get it out. But you'll notice, even when you're visualizing the object of attachment, it's not like you're completely single-pointed on it. Because the object's changing and moving and you're fantasizing and you're having a whole video show. Okay? So it's not totally single-pointed on the object. I mean, you might just be focused on, you know, that wonderful person. But it isn't like the image 100% right there because, you know, you know, first you're at the beach and then you're at the mountains and then you're doing this and then you're doing that. Okay? So it's not real single-pointedness. When it's concentrating on something and calm abiding, we call it like a virtuous mindfulness. And when it's concentrating on single-pointedly, you know, when you're holding the image of your enemy in your mind without thinking any thoughts and getting distracted about what you're going to do to him, it's just single-pointed, yeah, then that's kind of a deluded mindfulness. So it's a lot of these things, even when we talk about um, introspective alertness and all these things, there's a diluted form and a pure form. They have the sa- they have similar qualities, but they are quite different in ter- they distinguish them in terms of the you know how they're functioning in terms of the object and what the motivation behind them is because they perform very different functions depending on the motivation and the object, even though there are some similarities. Okay. Exactly. Don't have any choice. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas 
with mindfulness, what you're doing is you're choosing mm-hmm. to hold it there. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a peace. Yeah. There's a will and you're wishing to be holding where the session is like, yeah. Yeah, you're not serviceable at all. And like I said, it's not like you're really single-pointed on the object because your mind's thinking a lot about the object and imagining all sorts of different things with it. Are everybody okay with this? So actually, mindfulness, you know, when it's... um, Yeah, I think mindfulness is... um, when it's listed in the 51 mental factors, it's one of those ones that some teachers teach it as it can go either way towards a non-virtuous or a virtuous object. And other teachers say, well, it, it, we're saying it's neutral, but actually we're talking about it in the context of it being towards a virtuous object with a virtuous motivation or towards a neutral object with a virtuous motivation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to really think in depth what mindfulness means and the difference between mindfulness and obsession and the difference between mindfulness and developing calm abiding and the kind of what we in our worldly way call concentration like when you're playing computer games, okay, or a kid doing Nintendo, however you say it. Yeah? I mean, it's like they're completely glued. And we would say, oh, they're single-pointed, they're totally concentrated. But that, if you look at it, it doesn't really have the the characteristics of calm abiding. Because calm abiding is you are focused on the object and nothing is moving. Yeah, your mind's not moving, the object isn't changing. You have complete control of your mind on that. You're playing Nintendo, you know, you're not distracted by you know, your mom yelling at you and telling you to shut it off when you're a kid. But but your mind isn't single-pointed because, you know, you're shooting that one and shooting this one and shooting this and, and switching games back and forth. And, you know, the mind is changing objects. There's a lot going on there. So that, although we say, you know, kind of when we're just talking blah, blah, oh, you know, that, that concentration, it seems like mindfulness. If you really look at it, it's very different. Because the mind is changing objects a lot. Okay, similar when when you're when you're really thinking about you know your vacation and and you're getting obsessed about your vacation or some wonderful person, your mind is thinking about a lot of different things there. Yeah, you're not just holding the image of the beach single pointedly. Nothing's moving. Not your mind. Not the beach. Not the waves. Okay. Yeah, a lot's moving. There's this whole drama going on. So that's very very different. Yeah, that's not the way we would use, you know, in the, in the idea that you gave of like somebody working to build a mandala. They might be very absorbed in what they're doing, but it isn't what we would call like meditative absorption. Because again, meditative absorption is referring more to the calm abiding where your mind isn't thinking about all these different things. So even though you're working on the mandala, you're working with physical things and you've got to think about the sand and the little funnel and the thing you're rubbing here and these different stuff. So you're very focused on that general thing that you're doing. But that general thing is, you know, within that you're going to different things. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, you are developing some ability to concentrate. 
but it's not the kind of single-pointed concentration that you develop when you're really doing calm abiding. I mean, it's similar in the sense that your mind isn't thinking about chocolate cake, but still your mind's thinking about many things within the mandala as as you're making it. Yeah, I think focus more on, you know, the moment-to-moment change of what you're doing. Okay? But, I mean, again, it's going to depend very much on, on the person themselves and how they're thinking. Because, you know, when you're doing the Theravada Vipassana meditation, you're really focused a lot on the subject, you know, and labeling the different mental factors and attitudes going on within you. Whereas when you're building a mandala, you're concerned with the blue and the red and these things. You know, and at the same time, you're visualizing them as deities and, you know, you're thinking of the blessings of the guru and there's a, a whole lot of other stuff. Okay? So it is similar in that way, but again, um, with Vipassana meditation, you're focused on an internal object. When you're building the uh, mandala, your senses are working. I'm not talking about visualizing the mandala, but, but building, you know, with the sand, if you're building a 3D thing, your senses are working. And that's very different than, than doing, you know, calm abiding or any kind of meditation where you're not paying so much attention to your senses. So, I mean, you, it, it's true everything's changing moment to moment, but it's like you're focused on the, that image of the Buddha. And it's not like the Buddha's, you know, getting up and changing and dancing around, okay? I mean, kind of the Buddha's sitting there. And the image that you're focusing on, I mean, true, moment to moment, the mind is changing, but it's staying focused on one thing. Yeah. I mean, there's different, there's different ways of what we interpret changing. I mean, everything's changing moment to moment, moment to moment. Okay, there's no way to stop that. But there is, you know, gross impermanence, which is very different than subtle impermanence. Okay, so your mind's changing subtle impermanence moment to moment, but it's not having, you know, the gross impermanence of, of, you know, being in New York one split second and being in split pieces the next. (laughs) Yeah. So there's some stability in the mind and continuity on the object, whereas in distraction, there's no no continuity of the object and every, you know, how you're looking at the object, everything's changing all the time. There's here, you know, there's there's a real continuity kind of moment to moment so that it, it appears the same, you know, it's similar moment to so moment. It's sort of like if you had a movie, which is like each frame is a movie, and you changing, 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 changing. Right? And you fix on one so frame. So what you're saying is like, like every frame. Every frame is the same. Right. Every frame is the same. It's like if you took a movie and... Or, or even you just stop on one frame, okay? Still, the one frame, the electrons, and everything's changing. Everything's changing all the time, but you're still on one frame. I mean, it's not exactly the same frame because everything's changing in subtle impermanence, but it's it's very much the same frame compared to all the other frames and how everything's changing. But that's when you're meditating on subtle impermanence. When you're meditating on calm abiding, you're not doing subtle impermanence. You 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 lay made or after you've developed after you've developed subtle calm abiding, then you might switch and take that that precision mind and use it to meditate on subtle impermanence. 
But when you're developing calm abiding on the image of the Buddha, you're not focusing on the moment-to-moment change of the mind. Because the moment-to-moment change of the mind is not your object of meditation. The image of the Buddha is. So, I mean, the mind is changing moment to moment, but we're trying to develop this kind of continuity so that it's not flying all over the universe. Yeah. So, you're asking about the mandala rings, and here we are learning to build a mandala and put, you know, piles of rice and put rings here, and, you know, and then we're chanting this prayer, and then we spill it and knock it down again, then we build it up again. Or like prostrations. You do prostrations with 35 Buddhas. I mean, you're doing something physical. And so you're, you're saying, well, isn't that contradictory to trying to make the mind, you know, stable on one thing? Now, the thing is that um, our mind is not really very capable of remaining stable on one thing. At, you know, at its present stage. I can't speak for you. My mind is. <laughs> and so the Buddha taught that it's very, you know, the Buddha was incredibly skillful when he thought of all these, these preliminary practices because these preliminary practices are really, a lot of them are very physically oriented. And that's because at the beginning of the practice, we're very physically oriented. We can't sit still. Yeah, we cannot sit still. The body has too much restless energy in it. The mind has too much restless energy. And so as a way of channeling all this mental and physical energy, then the Buddha developed these practices where you're really doing physical things, where you're prostrating up and down and up and down. You're getting all, you're using up a lot of energy. And you're doing things with your mandala rings and the sand and the grains and the beads and you're dumping it over, you know. Or you're doing a 100,000 water bowl offerings, you know. You're moving. But again, it's like the skill of the Buddha in taking our tendency to, to be movement-oriented and physically-oriented and transforming that into something virtuous. And by that, we purify the mind. We collect a lot of positive potential. Our, that restless energy begins to calm down. And then that really helps us when we sit to do calm abiding meditation and focus on one object. Okay? So all these things get fit together into one practice. And, I mean, this is really where, where I mean, Tibetan Buddhism teaches many, many, many different practices that we, and we do all of them, because there's many, many aspects of ourselves that we need to develop and refine and reform. Making sense to people? Yeah. Right. Because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to move into your cave and you're going to start interior decorating. Yeah. <laughs> really? And you will interior decorate your cave and you will plant a garden outside your cave and you will build a fence of stones and you will, you know, do lots of other stuff because the mind has all that restlessness in it. Yeah, it is. And it, what it's doing is that, I mean, even though, you know, setting up a line of seven bowls full of water, I mean, there's nothing particularly virtuous about that. 
not like bowls and water or virtuous. But what we're trying to do is we're thinking of the Buddha, we're developing the wish to do, make this offering for the benefit of sentient beings, we're developing some simulated bodhicitta, we're developing the generous mind that makes offerings, we're imagining the Buddha and giving all these offerings. And so, you know, by the power of our thought that's conjoined with this physical action, then it becomes something really healthy for the mind. Okay? Rather than at the beginning stages of the practice, we go sit in a cave and we sit there and our mind does this whole movie. Yeah? That's why they really emphasize purification, collection, positive potential. And then as you're doing that, you can slowly develop some single-pointedness or some more mindfulness of that. When you're doing the prostrations, you can hold the image of the Buddhas more, you know, more continuously as you're prostrating. Or when you're making offerings, you can hold the image of the Buddha more in your mind than you're offering. You can hold the image of the mandala more. So you are developing some, you know, more ability to concentrate too. So actually, I think I'm going to stop here. <laughs>